This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Throughout this season of Lent, we are in the Psalms. And we're in the Psalms so that we might journey with God's people through daily living. How many of you are living today? A few holdouts, so hopefully you'll all be with me uh, at the end of the sermon. Uh, if not, I'll know you were truthful at the beginning. I'm like, they didn't make it. They said they weren't actually here, and, and, and they really weren't. And we probably should have tended to that more soon. It's going to look really awkward when you look back at the sermon and go, he didn't tell us who that person was, uh, who was not actually alive and with us when things started. Well, I want you to open your Bibles. Let's go to Psalm 19. And we're going to start with the end in mind. So Psalm 19, verse 14. Uh, the psalmist writes here for us and gives us yet another picture of what daily life looks like. Uh, And what I like is the Psalms don't really hold back. They give us the joy, they give us the sorrow, they give us the excitement, and they give us the questions. Uh, It gets us just right in the middle of, I think, where we need to be more in life, uh, trusting our Lord. Psalm 19, verse 14, this is how the psalmist concludes, Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Many preachers use this to open sermons. Many others use this at the beginning of Bible studies or the end, a reminder. Anything that I say, Lord, may it first and foremost be pleasing in your sight because you're my rock, you're my foundation, and you purchased me. You're my redeemer. You paid a price for me. To redeem something means you, you gave something, and now it's back. Like you, You've won it back for you. Now, these are the final words in Psalm 19. And the reason that they're the final words, it addresses, I think, uh, a plight that we are dealing with in society today. It's who gets to make decisions of who's in and who's out. Who gets to make the decisions as to whether something is acceptable or not. This idea of being acceptable uh, has become, we have a new term for it. At least I, I didn't know when I was younger, maybe it was there, uh, but at least it's big now. Moral relativism. How many of you are familiar with the phrase moral relativism? Okay, three of you. Once I describe it, you're like, Oh, that's what that thing is. Oh, okay, it has a name. So it's the idea that no one can tell you truthfully what is right or what is wrong. See, morals now are just relative. It's relative to where you believe things should come from. Uh, It's the idea that, well, if it works for you, that's okay. I can't tell you if that's right or wrong. This is moral relativism. There is no more absolute. There is no person who gets to draw the line, but the psalmist here in 19 tells us there is one, the rock and the redeemer. To those of us who go to the scriptures, we don't have moral relativism. We have moral grounding. We have a moral footing that's clearly defined. Now, others have morals. I'm not saying they don't have them, but you may not know where they're grounded. We who are in Christ have a grounding that is uniquely found in the Scriptures. If you jump to the beginning. So we started at the end. We're jumping all the way to the beginning. Psalm 19, verse 1. How is it that we can see this person who is in control? Well, the psalmist started by telling us. Where do we see this one who's in control? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Just looking out in creation tells you something magnificent is around you. I mean, the fact that rain falls 
I know like you accept that rain falls. How many of you remember looking up at a cloud as a child and thought, if only I could stand on the cloud? And then maybe if you flew in a plane, you were like, oh, this is it, man? Like, I'm glad I did not try standing on them. Or a couple of you in here may have actually skydived. You're like, yeah, there's really not much there. You just kind of go right through it, and then you see nothing, and then, boom, you see stuff, and you just hope the cloud is high enough that there's still time to pull, or you were checking your altimeter to make sure, pull now. <laughs> Even though I don't see ground, I should pull now. Well, we get this reminder the heavens are declared. God's just around us, but some of us have just accepted, well, that's not God. It's, we have this explanation of cloud and this and that. Well, who put the clouds there? Who taught the clouds how to cloud? Which I realize cloud's not a verb. I know that. You don't have to correct me after the service. I get it. Well, what we see is this whole piece that God set in that moved forward, there was a rupture. And the rupture we know of just a few weeks ago because on Ash Wednesday we heard these words from Genesis 3. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, it sets us all on our axis to be reminded God actually set the axis. Uh, And when we fall, well, that is actually Adam and Eve, and that was the curse that God gave to Adam. The reminder of him, his life on earth would be tough, and he'd be toiling in the ground to set there to be able to eat from it and to move forward, and that he would return to dust. See, you and I were made by the Lord to actually... Declare just what Psalm 19 verse 1 says. Just say, look what God did. Look what God made. But we're real good at building stuff now where we look less at the sky and we look at our buildings. We look less at what God did in a, in a flowering tree. Any of you just excited as you look out at trees right now? Now, I know some of you are like, oh, no, pollen, no. I get that. I, mean, I hear that. But I hope that maybe this year, try to say something else that you didn't last year. That tree's growing, and I have no idea how it's doing it. I have no idea how that tree learned to flower. Now, a couple of you do. I get it. I know there's a couple in here that that get all the the science behind it, but I'm just sure someone made it do that. It was all uniquely designed and built. And it's the one who made the heavens and the earth. But this goodness that was there, it falls apart. It fell apart in the fall there in Genesis 3, and it puts things all off to the side so that as we turn back and we realize that we need someone to reframe our lives, it's why we go back to verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You catch this? I can't meditate and have the right words unless the Lord actually does that for me and to me. Mike Merker is not acceptable to the Lord unless the Lord has done something to Mike Merker. For those of you who don't know my name, that's me. Some of you are like, who is this Mike Merker guy? Why are we preaching about him? We're not. I'm just saying it's me. And without God, I'm nothing. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So it's this prayer, God, you've got to fix it because you are my foundation. You have redeemed me. See, these are claims to remind us because you're the steady one and because you're the one who's already done something. I'm laying claim, Lord, to what you did, and I'm seeking your promises in my life. I'm seeking you to carry forward to make me acceptable. Okay, so we've got these parameters now of what is actually acceptable and who gets to claim what is acceptable. It's God. For us in Christ, we know that it's God who gets to claim this. So then, if there's this question of God gets to do it, why are we in problems? See, I think for some people, you can read Psalm 19 and you get, okay, so I see God God made something. How he did it, 
Okay, I don't, I don't get it, but he, but he got it. But you know what? It's 2018, and this whole idea of God, this concept that I was raised with, it needs some updating. So God needs some updating. I've heard many people say that, well, you know, I don't want... Yeah, this, this phrase just bugs me, so I'm giving it away already. I have heard the phrase, we are not your grandmother's church. Anyone heard that about another church? I've seen churches advertise, we are not your grandmother's church. I tell you what I did. Man, all right. Cool, if you're not my grandmother's church, I'm out of here. Because her church was pretty good. I don't need a church that reinvents God. I need a church that I know. Now, maybe your grandmother wasn't grounded in the faith, so I can't speak for your grandmother. But if you tell me it's not my grandmother's church, <laughs> then I'm out. Because my grandmother knew that it was all about standing on the word of God alone. So when you tell me that it's not my grandmother's church, if you've got some other thing going on, find another way to say it. Because that's not the way to say it to me. But this idea of moral relativism slips in. The people say, well, what we meant by that was we need to speak in new ways and we need to say new things. That's fine, speak in new ways, but don't change my Christ. Don't change my Lord and don't change what he has said to set there. So how do we get to this point where it's possible that if you were to tell a whole group of your peers, friends, and others you interface with during the week, if you were to tell them that your life is grounded, grounded, In this book, if you actually told them that this book guides you and directs you and is your moral compass, if you told them that openly, I hate to tell you this, there are a lot of people who would look at you, they would scoff at you, they would laugh at you, and they would mock you. So how did we get there? How do we get to a place that actually even saying that you do? Now, in church, you're all comfortable. Yes, the scripture, we get it. We love that this church has the Bible at its core centerpiece. But if you were to say that openly you would be slammed. How dare you let a book, how dare you let someone else's words guide you? How dare you let that happen? That's not acceptable anymore because now who said that that book knew what it should know? So how do we get here? Well, I want to consider with you a a couple phrases. And they're not all going to hit home for you. So just as you hear them, if one slips past you, you're like, ah, you know, that's fine. I'm just trying to, how do we get to this idea of just that words start to change what we say and what we do, that phrases that seem harmless can kind of get us out of whack, this idea of relationships with one another. How is it that we can no longer talk about Scripture being our grounding? Because somehow in our relationships and our language, we have slipped and become more like everyone else than we probably realize. We've become more like culture around us. Because culture is who? All right, yeah, I see a couple of you are getting it. That's right. See, I love those who realize it. If you've ever blamed the culture, you just blamed who? Awesome. I'm so glad you guys know that. I'm serious. It bugs me when people say it's the culture. You are the culture, brothers and sisters in Christ, because you're in it. Like, culture is not some evil monolith beast who, like, broods and gets together. Culture is the fact that we collectively have stopped talking about Christ and have allowed ourselves just to be silent. We are part of this thing called culture. It's why Christ said, hey, just go be who I've intended you to be. (laughs) Go forth. Paul's got lots of struggles he faces as he's preaching and teaching. Paul doesn't come in and say, I can't preach anymore because your culture is too oppressive. Paul says, I got Christ. (laughs) I'm going to say anything I need. You put me in prison, you do anything you want to me. I've got this because my Lord has me. So listen to a couple of these phrases. 
And think about how, whether you've used it or not, but just you've probably heard it. Consider this phrase where we talk about our values and how we convey things. You ever heard the phrase, she's easy on the eyes? Yeah, so you guys are familiar with the Olympics as well, right? We'll make a few more references to these. Don't worry, I'll leave the Olympics behind soon. Uh, so curling, how many of you watched curling? Okay, a couple of you. Uh, so several of you watched curling. How many of you are aware that there was a big social media craze that curling was fun again? Did any of you know some of that is because there was a Russian lady who was curling who was highly attractive and that she was getting huge hits on Facebook like, you've made curling fun. <laughs> now that's just hidden speech for what? I like oogling you. I have no idea what you're doing with those st- stones. No idea. But I liked watching you. But they said, we, you've made curling fun. I know nothing about curling. I'm sorry. That's like a knowledge of my curling. But I sat there and see, there's this piece of like, wow, so this is fun. We will just stare at this woman. Consider another phrase. He works out. You know that one? Which means you want to find out the gym that he's at, right? Like you're really interested in who is that person's trainer. That's what the phrase he works out means, right? No, it doesn't. It means, wow, that guy, woo, he looks nice. But we don't say that. We just say he works out. She got a nice catch. It's a fishing story, right? She got a nice catch. He married up. (laughs) You guys are laughing more as if like, well, I'll try not to take that personally. (laughs) See, we use these phrases. The reason I bring them up, I know we're talking about Scripture being a ground... We have allowed ourselves to slip in ways that we say things that maybe if we actually said them directly, we'd stop saying them. See, we've allowed ourselves to dip so deep into the culture that we're not honoring the things God asks us to honor. Men and women are to be honored and cherished. They are gifts. They are important to us. They have value. And I, and I know that some of you have said them harmlessly, so I don't want you to walk out like, you know, like, oh, my gosh, this is so terrible. No, I just want you to hear the stuff that we say to realize, Oh, I didn't realize that I was actually saying something that could be damaging to someone else. But see, when we get into this place of who gets to say what's acceptable or not, this is why we're in Psalm 19. God gets to say that. And are the phrases that we say and the things that we do acceptable to God? If they are, say them all the more. If they're not, then we need to reset and go back to my rock and my redeemer. I want to share with you something very different. How many of you know Proverbs 31? I mean, you have to know it by heart, but you, when I say Proverbs 31, you know where I'm going, right? Yeah, see, a couple of you do. So Proverbs 31 is this great picture of someone who is in the Lord. But most importantly, it's just a picture of a wife, a, a woman who loves God. Now, there's a really interesting thing about what's there and what's not. So Proverbs 31, verse 29 and 31, Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. Well, There goes the way we judge pretty much every person today. So beauty's out and charm's out. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Wait a second. So to be acceptable is actually about fearing God first? Yeah, it is. It resets our phrases that nice catch and this and that and working out and do you know how to curl? Forget all that. It's do you understand that God is to be feared above all things because God is your rock and your redeemer. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. See, a, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is, this is the reset. 
The reset is realizing to be acceptable is first, are you acceptable to God? And to be acceptable to God realizes, wait a second, I can't be acceptable to God without God himself accepting me. Because I have nothing to give to the Lord except my own fear, my own trepidation, my own concerns. Now some of you are like, okay, so what about men? Don't worry. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks in, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This sets up the entire Psalter. This is Psalm 1. It gives you the whole introduction. So in Proverbs we hear, you want to be a woman after like the Lord? You, this is what's crazy. Can you imagine? Like, if you get married or you have a friend or someone else, what should get them more jazzed about you than anything you wear is where your heart is with the Lord. But we don't talk that way in church enough to compliment people when they've studied the Bible well or come often. Now, we'll tell someone, I like your hair. I'm all for complimenting hair. I'm all for saying you have a nice blouse. That's fine. But if you ever complimented someone, say, I love how faithful you are to our Lord. We don't talk that way naturally. I know that. This is why as we gather in the Lord's house, we need to remember God's trying to retrain us to be the people he intended us to be. Now, men, I realize most of the time we talk about sports, we talk about running, we talk about building stuff and hammers and nails and all this kind of masculine stuff. Imagine if men talked a little bit more about, man, I was digging deep into the scriptures and it was rocking my world. And I feel like I'm less of a man after I read that. But then I read that God had me in his grasp and I feel more strong and more rock steady than I've ever been. Because, man, I was reading it at night and I was reading it in the morning. I read the word of God. You're like, that's not how guys talk. I know it's not. I know that. Because God's working on men and he's working on women. Men just like sometimes not talking about their emotions. Great, then read the Bible and read some emotion in there, men. It doesn't have to be your emotion. Read someone else's. Like realize God wants to talk to you. Every day he wants to talk to you. Women, if you don't feel pretty, you don't feel wonderful inside, then start reading how God feels about you. Because you are the most beautiful, wonderful, marvelous person that was ever made on the face of the earth, and only one person can do what you do, and God made you for that. Don't miss it. You are acceptable in his eyes. Stop letting someone else tell you what's acceptable because they don't get to set what is acceptable or not. Only God does. Only my rock and my... And you guys can do it with me now. Only my rock and my... That's right. Only the rock and the redeemer gets to set that. But we always want to push a little bit further, don't we? We always want to go just one step beyond what's good. My kids at night always want one more. It doesn't matter what the one more is. It could be use the toilet one more time. I mean, believe it or not, it could be brush my teeth one more time. More often than not, it's one more story, one more book, one more hug. I've hugged you six times. One more. I mean, it's all about we don't want to go to the next thing. We don't want to have this setting. We don't want to see it. We don't realize that if we go to bed now, it actually lets us get up early and go to the zoo. So we don't realize my parents want to put me down because tomorrow I've got a big day at school and it's a field trip. I just want to stay up late. Even though I'm ruining tomorrow, they don't have the perspective. You and I don't realize God's actually trying not to stop you from having fun. God actually wants you to have the most fun you've ever seen imaginable. But you're just seeing it here, and God's trying to get you the whole thing. He's trying to reset your vision for a bigger picture. 
verses 7 and 8. Verses that we read this morning as we were reading this psalm responsively spoke about God's law in this way. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. Reviving the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. Righteous altogether. There's only one who's pure. God. No one else has pure motives in their directing you. No one. I know there's some great men and women in this room, some great spouses, some great friends, and some great neighbors. But I assure you, at their core, at the center, they're not as pure as their Lord. And they'd tell you that if you ask them. Now, they've been working and walking with the Lord, and the Spirit's been guiding them and directing them. But don't let anyone else set your compass. Don't let anyone else tell you what true north looks like if it's not coming first and foremost from God. Because anyone else, they, it might look awfully close, but somewhere in there, somewhere in there is going to be whose motives? Their own. Because we all know who have been formed by Christ that inside us, I need Christ daily. I need him daily to beat down the part of me that wants to go somewhere else. The part that wants only Mike to win. We've got to combat that all the time. Only God is pure. Only God is able to make this move forward. See, the psalmist confronts our societal assumption that there's lots of different ways to go about and do and be. No, there's but one. Only one is pure. Only one way is righteous. Only one way is perfect. Verse 13 concludes us with these words, a reminder that God has healed us and got us and holds us, but our prayer also then says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. This is a psalmist writing saying, man, I got, I've got sins that I just, I, I presumed things. Man, presumptions can be wicked because you think you know what someone's going, oh, I know what your argument is. Do you? Have you ever let them speak about this before? But you presumed to know what they are going to say. The psalmist says, keep your servant back also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. They can control us when we know what someone's going to say. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of the great transgression. It's verse 14 that then follows. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When you, Lord, hold me back, Lord, when you protect me, when you guard me, Lord, when you named me at the font, when you held me and poured your spirit on me, when you fed me at the Lord's table, it was there that you called me back from that path of sin and you set me up and made me acceptable in your sight. My rock and my Redeemer. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.